Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither he nor his parents sinned. It is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. We have to do the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and smeared the clay on his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back able to see. His neighbors and those who had seen him earlier as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is. But others said, No, he just looks like him. He said, I am. So they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He replied, The man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went there and washed and was able to see. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought the one who was once blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes on a Sabbath. So then the Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and now I can see. So some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a sinful man do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you have to say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Now the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and gained his sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had gained his sight. They asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. We do not know how he sees now, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He can speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone acknowledged him as the Christ, he would be expelled from the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, question him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He replied, If he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that I was blind, and now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They ridiculed him and said, You are that man's disciple. 
We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we do not know where this one is from. The man answered and said to them, This is what is so amazing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if one is devout and does his will, he listens to him. It is unheard of that anyone ever opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not be able to do anything. They answered and said to him, You were born totally in sin, and are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. The one speaking with you is he. He said, I do believe, Lord, and he worshipped him. Then Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see might see, and those who do see might become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not also blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you are saying, We see, so your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Holy Mother Church has given us perfect readings, three beautiful readings that all align with each other in terms of their theme, this theme of darkness and light, of sight and blindness. And many homilies across the country and across the world will be preached with these beautiful theological themes in this very beautiful, astute, articulate manner. But this won't be one of them. Because this Lent, this Lenten period, I think there's a theme that emerges from these readings, especially this gospel passage, that calls us to a period of reflection and examination fitting for this liturgical season. There's a central question which I think emerges from the text, and that is, what is our approach to God? What is our approach to God? And and I'll admit that this is a question we should always be asking, but I think now is is a very opportune time to ask it. In this text, we see different approaches to God playing out. We have the apostles in the very beginning of the reading who are asking Jesus, you know, which, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, they're framing the question poorly, and Jesus lets them know of that because it's not really a question of sin at all. But we'll give them some credit because they're asking. They're they're genuinely seeking, right? They may not be doing it perfect. They may not understand everything perfectly, but that's fine. We can't fault them too much for that. You have the parents of the man born blind, and they seem to really understand who Jesus is. They at least understand his works and what he's doing, but they're a little afraid to do anything about it. Okay, that's not great either. 
But then you have the Pharisees, and I think they're the real problem in the text, which really shouldn't surprise any of us. Because for the Pharisees, they're seeing the work that Jesus has done. They, they, God is in their midst, working amongst them. He's healing things. He's doing things that have never been done before. But they're missing him. They're missing him when they're even speaking to him face to face. God is amongst them, and they're totally blind to it. They even have the audacity to ask, surely we are not blind too, are we? This is, this is the problem with the Pharisees. They're set in their ways. You could really say that in their approach to God, they have God in a box. They have a relationship with God. We'll give them that credit. They're not going out, hopefully, and committing terrible crimes and killing people. Maybe, I don't know, some of them are, who knows. But, but we'll give them credit for having a relationship with God. But what is this relationship with they, they have with God? They've put God in a box. God is someone who is supposed to meet their expectations. They have a relationship with God, but they're the ones, you know, they're the ones who, who, who believe that they know what they're doing in this relationship. They say, we, we're disciples of Moses. You know, we know Moses spoke with God. We're his disciples. We have this thing all figured out. It's all taken care of. We know exactly what we're doing. You know, who are you to come into our town and to try to show us something? You know, who are you to teach us? That's the Pharisees. They have God in a box, both literally and figuratively, by the way, because they have the Holy of Holies in the temple, which is this essentially big box, and that is where God lives for them. God is in a box. Um, but, but more figuratively, though. I'm not sure, however that the Pharisees are the only people who have God in a box. I think that's something that even today in our time we can be guilty of. I think that's something that we fall into, something that we're liable to do and susceptible to do. I think in our relationship with God sometimes, we can have these preset expectations. We can get into this rut of spiritual comfort where we have expectations of God and how he's going to work and how he's going to work in our life and how, what, what we're going to do in relation to him. You know, and we go to Mass and we'll go to confession when we need to and we do those good things, we pray, we, we ask God for blessings, we ask him for favors, we, we hope he will prevent tragedies in our life and great suffering. And this is all very good things, you know. This is good stuff because it's something and I wish the entire world had at least that. This world would be much better if we all had that. Um, but is that it? Is, is there more to it than that? Do we have the same blindness that the Pharisees have? I think the solution lies in looking at the approach of the man born blind. This man who had an open heart, who is seeking... And we can't give him all the credit in the world because he didn't, he didn't call out to Jesus. You know, there's also the story of Bartimaeus in the Gospel of Mark where, where, where the Bartimaeus is calling out, you know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the, the, the man born blind is not quite doing that. He's literally sitting there and Jesus is passing by and he becomes some teaching point for the apostles, right? Um, but he's, he's, he, he's asking Jesus, you know, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? This is someone who is brought to this point, and he is seeking, he is open. I was giving a tour of my seminary, St. Minerid, to some Carmelite sisters 
from Louisiana. They were at St. Minard for a conference, and so they're cloistered, they're cloistered nuns, they don't get out of the convent very often. But I was giving them a tour through the property and showing them everything, and we were having a good conversation, we were visiting, and, and, and we had some other seminarians with us who were new seminarians, had just entered seminary. And I was the senior most of the seminarians from my diocese, the Archdiocese of Mobile. And one of the sisters said to me, she said, Deacon Thomas, what would you, if you had to give one piece of advice to these new guys who are entering seminary, what would you say to them? I said, gee, sister, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things I would tell them, but if I had to distill it down into one thing, I, I just don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what I would tell them. And it, it bothered me that I couldn't give her this answer. And I don't know if you've noticed, but God has a particular way of working through religious sisters and nuns that is uncanny and something that I don't think most of us will ever know the depth of that. But I thought about that question for a couple weeks at least, and I prayed about it because I was, this is something that I want to know, and this is something that I want to, you know, this is important. This is my vocation, and I've been here for six years, and gosh, I wish I did have one piece of advice. That sounds really good to have. So praying about it, I came up with something that I would tell a new seminarian, prepare to wrestle with mystery. That's the one piece of advice I would have to a new seminarian. Prepare to wrestle with mystery. Not mystery in the sense that we commonly understand it, where it's this unknowable thing. But mystery in the sense, in the more Christian sense of the word, something about which we can know an infinite amount. Something which we will never plumb the depths of. Something which is beyond our understanding. Because when you enter seminary, I think, or do many things, you have these preset expectations that you bring into it. And quite frankly, they very rarely pan out just how you expected them to. God is always working, and he's always doing something that's much bigger and much more profound than what you are expecting him to do. And I think that gets at the truth of the matter, is that we don't control our relationship with God. I think very commonly, and again, this is something that all Christians, whether priest, deacon, religious sister, layperson, whoever falls into, I think out of comfort or out of this insecurity, we want to control our relationship with God. We want it to be like this nice country Sunday drive, when in reality, it's more like a blindfolded roller coaster ride. Because God is much, much bigger than we can understand. And when we think, when we think that we can understand God, when we think that we can control our relationship with God, I think that is precisely the moment that we can recognize our own blindness. Even though we're still blind, we can know that we are blind. You know, the, more, the man born blind had only experienced darkness, but he still knew he was blind. When we believe that we are in control with our relationship with God, when we believe that he fits neatly and tidily in our box that we have built for him, and we take him out on Sunday or whenever we have a prayer intention or something that's weighing on our hearts, that's when we know for sure, for absolute certain, that we are blind. So the answer, I think, then, is to pray, shockingly. It's to seek. 
It's to ask God to reveal himself. He has come into our world, into our lives, to work signs, to love us. And those signs, those wonders, his love for us, cannot fit in any box that we can construct because we simply cannot construct a box big enough for God to fit in. And we have automatically cut something off when we try to put God in a box. I would say that a God that we can understand, a God that fits in our box, is not a God that is worth worshiping, quite frankly. I cannot conceive of a God big enough. We do not control our relationship with God. And quite frankly, I think it is much better that way.